Hi everyone and welcome to the Curve Mindset Podcast. I'm your host and co-founder, Lonnie McGinley. Today we're joined by Matt Ward. How are you, Matt? Hey, Al. Not bad, thank you. Laurie, not bad. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, can you just tell the listeners how you are back in about yourself? Sorry, Laurie, say again? Can you just tell the listeners a wee bit of a background about yourself? Yeah, sure, sure. So uh, I used to play kind of a really poorly semi-pro level uh, football. I went around uh, a few of the reserve teams in non-league football in, in England. Uh, I finished playing a little bit too early, so I finished around age 25. Uh, and I started doing some kind of voluntary coaching around my, my local area in England. And then... Uh, from there, I kind of fell out of, love, out of love with the game, and I ended up moving to Taiwan in 2012. And that's when I, I started uh, coaching again. Uh, I got involved with a, a team which eventually got promoted to the uh, top-tier league in the country. Uh, and that then uh, led me to coach full-time in the Philippines, in China, and in Ghana. Uh, and I'm still in, in China now, basically, so my, my life... Uh, moved quite quickly in a short space of time, and I went from a voluntary coach to a, a professional coach with professional teams. Oh, nice! And the, as you said, you kind of coached in Taiwan and China, but you you hold a kind of kind of coach licenses from England and kind of Australia. Can you tell us what they are and what the the differences were between the kind of English FA and the kind of Australian FA? How you found the the structure uh, of both? Yeah, sure. So uh, years ago, I'm, I'm talking maybe early 2000s, uh, I did uh, kind of the equivalent to uh, England Level 2. And then I wanted to update it again. So when I first moved to Taiwan in 2012, I, I uh, flew back to, to England a few times to do my Level 2 again. Uh, and then moving on to the B license, I couldn't get anywhere in, in the UK, basically. So I'm sure you've heard, uh, as, as many of us have, how difficult it can be for uh, coaches not just in the UK but also abroad or especially those abroad to get on the courses Uh, unfortunately I couldn't get on any of the B license ones in in Ireland uh, Wales Scotland England so I ended up uh, going to Australia and I continued my B license and uh, A license in Australia so total total different in regards to uh, applying They, they was very welcoming it was really straightforward and they were really accommodating for, uh, well, we're classed as a foreigner coach going over there. Uh, so that, that was a, a real refreshing change. So that was nice to get on, to get on there. Uh, in regards to any differences, um, obviously UEFA, uh, UEFA is seen as the, the pinnacle of, of B licence and A licence qualifications. But for me, I, I, enjoyed the, uh, I enjoyed the Australian pathway because it had parts of... Uh, Dutch and, and Belgium influence uh, in in the curriculum, uh, which which I really enjoyed. Uh, for for myself, there was a little bit too much focus on uh, the youth side of things, which, which is fine. But like uh, the uh, like in the UK, you have separate pathways for youth, and then obviously your senior. Whereas Australia, I was sat there in in similar in similar the classes. And it was very much geared up for the, uh, for the youth pathway. So I'm sat there working with adults and I'm thinking, hey, you know, are we going to focus more on the, on the adult game? Uh, so that, that's probably one of the negatives. But everything else, it was a really good experience. Uh, good food as well, because we was at the, uh, 
was at the uh, Australian Institution uh, of Sport. So we had three meals a day, perfect. And just talking about the kind of youth, I, I've just completed my I'm completing my A license in the moment, and uh, you know you focus on the kind of senior side of it or kind of higher youth. But it just yeah. um, how did you kind of deal with? Uh, you know, that kind of, that negativity a little bit of like thinking, do you know what, I'm, I'm working with youth. Do you think you have to just adapt to uh, your your sessions or your mindset of, do you know what, I can make this harder for seniors and a little bit easier for kind of children? Do you think when you were there that the people had the same attitude or do you think people had that kind of, do you know what, let's just work together, get the, 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 the license and then progress as a coach and try and learn our own ways? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I must admit, I didn't really uh, attack the situation with uh, uh, the, as much as positivity than, than I should have, really, because in Australia especially, there's a big emphasis on, on youth and uh, the, the women's game because there isn't that many uh, full-time coaching roles going around in the senior game. So I tried to take from it uh, as much as I could, and as you said, I just tried to put my own spin on things. Uh, but it, still, it was really difficult because at the time I was working with a senior men's team in a, in a top-tier league of a country, uh, and I found some of it tedious. Although, I, I was, like I said, I was trying to pull parts which I could work with, but most of it was uh, not really relevant to, to what I was wanting from a, a, a B or an A licence. But in, in the end, you, uh, from my point of view, you get most of your value from talking directly with the tutors on a one-to-one uh, note or with the other candidates so I still got some you know some positives out of it but that's that's one thing which uh, I, I, I would say or I can imagine uh, where your UEFA quals really really guides you into the pathway which you want yeah and just um, when you're on that you're being you're a, you've got a lot of um, people coming to talk to you but like I spoke when you speak to different coaches, they um, they say I want to work in the youth game, I want to work in the senior game, I want to work in the reserve game. But a lot of the time, the the people who come in to speak are generally at the kind of senior level, you know, and they want to talk to you about the you know adult football and all this. Do you think that sometimes? that there should be like a guest speaker for like youth football, a guest speaker for like futsal, for... Because we, when we, uh, as I said, when there's different people uh, you speak to, they, they don't want to be a, a first team manager, they want to be a 16s manager, but an A licence or a B licence will cover that kind of, you know, spot. Do you think that, you know, I've seen it from the kind of, when I was watching a couple of things in the, the FA, you know, they brought in people from Barcelona, uh, but they talked about youth football. Then they brought someone like Paul McGuinness, who's worked at Manchester United yeah. for many, many years. Yeah. And he talked about the kind of children's football to youth football. And then he talked about kind of senior football, you know, the progression. Do you think that people, um, like, uh, for progressing as a coach, you need to speak to these kind of, these people have to kind of chat to you more, you know, so you can actually have that better understanding of, of who the specialist is? Yeah, absolutely. I think that would have a huge benefit, you know, starting from B licence, A licence, and I know they, they have these guest speakers also at, at pro licence level. I think that's one thing you need to do because with res greatest respect to the tutors you have on the courses, 
they are great at teaching or tutoring, but they may not have any actual hands-on experience of dealing with uh, a U23 team from Man United or dealing with a, a, a team of senior men or, or women in the game. So it would be good to have actual... Uh, coaches or, or people who have got that experience behind them so you can get to learn you know some inside stories instead of having the tutors just talking about their tutoring experience or, or their perception of how it is in the real life uh, also i think another important thing which uh, again i don't know if they do it on the ua for courses but I would like to know a bit more about the candidates not just introduce yourself your name and where you're from but you know, if you've got someone with uh, top league professional senior uh, experience coaching, then let them speak. Let them share their experience. And the same goes uh, if there's anyone with national uh, youth team experience. Let them speak. Because what, what you find on, on courses, you know, people don't really... Some, you know, there's some, a lot of ego and arrogance flowing around, right? So you don't always get people interested in who you are, what you're doing, unless they know you as an ex-player or something. So maybe if they already knew uh, that you've coached in, in different countries or at different levels or in different environments, then they may be kind of more interested in, in talking with you and trying to gain some knowledge from you. So... Uh, I often find that it's kind of uh, the tutors which take the spotlight when really it could be more focused on the experiences of the coaches which could give more value. Yeah. As I said, I speak to different tutors and I speak to different people and they give you different kind of pieces of information but again, as a coach, you need to have to kind of get yourself out there more You know, and speak to different people. Just kind of going through the kind of coach education, you know, I've seen a lot of people um, when I went to PSV um, two years ago, it was very interesting because they talked about multi sports and then talking about like when it comes to kind of as I said, coach education. Do you think they should maybe you know bring pl uh, people from like the rugby world who have won things or the kind of cricket world or the kind of all these kind of like different multi sports but different coaches that are might give you a different spin on kind of leadership or motivation? Do you think that the the kind of different Kind of governing bodies potentially could help with this, or do you think it should just be all football, football, football? No, big time. I mean, if you look at the, the knowledge and, and information we can gain from not just other sports but other businesses or walks of life, there's so much we can still get from these individuals or, or these companies or people in terms of, like you said, leading and managing and even coaching in different sports. Yeah, for sure. It's not all going to be relevant. But again, we can put our specific spin on what would work for us and what would work in our position, uh, situation, environment, and, uh, of course, for the uh, football game as well. Uh, for example, now I'm, I'm a general manager of a company here in, in China, a sports coaching company, but I'm still able to use certain manager and leadership principles which I've used during coaching and managing in football uh, with my staff in the company as well. So there, there, are, there are areas which cross over, and I think from, from learning from the, you know, the, the, leading, the leading characters in sport, uh, of management, of leading, you know, we can, we can take away from that uh, and, and put it towards our, our game as coaches and managers in football as well. I mean, when you, when you look at the, the background of the past England rugby coaches and, and whatnot and, and you know, how, how they got their players to uh, perform to the maximum or how, uh, how they use different uh, spins psychologically to, to try and get the best performances, that's something as coaches now we should be tapping into and, and trying to... Uh, not just 
be focusing on football, football, football 24-7. You know, there, there's so many different leaders and managers out there we can take good points from. Definitely. And just kind of moving on, um, you're a certified uh, international football scout. Can, I, can you tell us how you kind of got that and what does that kind of entail? Yes, so, so uh, I did this as an online course and as on online courses go, uh, it was really detailed and it really o- opened my, my eyes to more uh, with analysis and tactics and the detail you have to go into uh, with, with actually looking at players, looking at opposition and the team as well. Now, uh, I, I did it through sports management worldwide, which uh, some people people may or may not have heard of but uh, you know I wasn't expecting much out of it being an online course but then the detail and the depth of the course was really useful and uh, you know they, they, they sent you out DVDs which, which you have to uh, look through and I, I ended up scouting some uh, Honduras v Peru under under 17 game or something at the end of it I felt like I was a specialist of Honduras youth team and then the national team and I knew which 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 player uh, players would turn uh, in on the ball or, or looking to to play out from, and uh, it, it was unreal just the detail that I was able to put into the, both teams and their style of play. So not only not only uh, the actual detail and open opening your eyes to uh, analysis of teams and players, it was good for uh, networking and communi- communicating with others as well. So on my course, I had a few uh, pro coaches from the States. Uh, there was a, a director from uh, Dundee or Dundee United. Uh, I can't remember which one now. Uh, so it was good for networking as well. And uh, straight away, I, I put them principles into play where I, I kind of took what I learned from the course and I ended up uh, scouting uh, one of the tournaments which was held in Taiwan, one of the Asian tournaments. So I was looking at uh, Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, Guam, North Korea, and I was actually doing that for the uh, for the coach of Guam, and I was doing uh, opposition analysis on North Korea, Hong Kong, and, and Taiwan. Maybe I shouldn't have been because I, I'm living in Taiwan at the time. Uh, but yeah, so straight away the course brought value to me, and that also played its part later on in me working with uh, uh, the Guam manager later on in China. Oh, sorry, just then. I think in Dundee and Dundee United, you know, it's like, that's, uh, you need to choose one of them and go for it, you know, or else you're... Yeah, I should have, I should have chose one, I, yeah, I realise I shouldn't put them all into one part, I apologise for that, that's my ignorance. <laughs> uh, well, it just then, as, as you have been a football coach for many years, you know, you've worked in many clubs in like China, Ghana, Taiwan and Philippines, what's the kind of, the hardest kind of part of that, you know, what's the most challenging, the roles, you know, because if you're... Living abroad, you know, you have to deal with different, you know, different circumstances such as like family and, you know, speaking of different languages and also the kind of culture. How do you kind of deal with the kind of, the, that kind of way of living, you know, can you tell us a bit about the kind of lifestyle, you know, you're kind of working with and how you kind of, the mindset of sometimes it is difficult but you need to just kind of power through? Yeah, for, for, for sure. So, uh the, the immediate ones which come come to a coach's mind is family and the language barrier. So uh, they're, they're kind of a, a given. You've got to adapt to that and hopefully you, you've already got that uh, packed away and squared away and you've just got to deal with that. So when you're looking at, at uh, in the, di- the different environments, every country's got the, their own environment and 
there are consistent kind of barriers to or challenges to to your work uh, across different countries. Uh, the similar barriers are kind of having to manage up as well as managing down. So. Um, some countries in Asia, uh, you may have an owner or a boss and they don't, they'll ask for your advice, but they, they may not use it all the time. Or sometimes they'll go over your head or they will kind of ask you to do something, but they're not really asking, they're, they're telling you to do it. So you need to be very patient, very flexible, and you need to, uh, as the saying goes, know which battles to fight. Uh, and, and the ones which are, are worth fighting, and, and, and that rings true, especially in Asia. Uh, you, you've got to be very, uh, very aware of your surroundings, of the of the cultural, uh, of the cultural uh, behaviours, and you've got to appreciate that. Yes, you're a foreigner, and you've been brought in for your expertise, but you've got to adapt to their culture and their way of thinking, whether you like it or not. And if you go in there with a certain uh, uh, arrogance. Uh, there'll always be one winner. Uh, you you can't you can't fight against some uh, a battle which you're you're not going to win. So you know you, you need to go in there with a strong mindset, but also a flexible one. And you need to be able to uh, put on your yeah. You need to try and, and improve things and develop things, but at the same time, you need to make sure that everyone above you is is happy as well which they kind of agree with what you're trying to do, which gives you full, uh, full power to, to control and, and do what you need to do with the team. For example, in, in Ghana, I had full say of the full team, the operations, uh, the selection and everything. And, and that was great for me. I, I love that. But unfortunately then, uh, I found out my players hadn't been paid for a very long time. They weren't getting the, the right things from the contract which were promised. So that's another thing you've got to deal with because culturally, yes, we know, we know from, the, from the UK that these things happen. But when you're there in amongst it, you've got to kind of decide if you're going to rule with your heart and say, no, that isn't right and go the moral uh, kind of highway or just go with your head and concentrate on the football. Uh, and unfortunately for me, I, I couldn't let that go and I, I got involved a bit too much with my players. Uh, that's just the person I am. And, and unfortunately, it ended my, my time in Ghana uh, a little bit premature. So you have got to really, yeah, you've got to decide if you're going to go full in with your heart, if you're going to lead with your head, if you're going to try and get a balance. But whatever you do, you need to try and respect your your peers, the, the owners or your bosses. Regardless if you think they're good at the job or if you like them or not, you really, they're the ones that are going to decide your, your immediate career there. So you have got to be really uh, adaptable and, and flexible. And just kind of going through that kind of way of thinking, you know, of um, payments and, you know, dealing with kind of stress and culture... You obviously experienced you in kind of youth development, but you also been an academy manager and a technical director. Can you tell us where they were and how do you kind of found found the kind of jobs? Because I know from the, the things you just said, you need to deal with different people. But how do you kind of keep your emotions in check to try and do a good job on the field and try and do a, a good job off the field? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, in in the Philippines, my my job was kind of a, a dual role. So I was academy manager uh, of the academy team at Loyola Sparks in the Philippines, but also I was assistant coach of the of the first team. So from from one day to the next, or sometimes uh, 
in the same day, I'd have to have a different hat on. And uh, this is difficult because you're there, I'm, I'm trying to build up and, and develop a whole academy, not just actually on field, but the business side of things. Uh, we, we'd lost quite a lot of players. So uh, my, my first job really for the academy was to build the academy up again and, and, and get more, more players involved, get more youngsters joining us. Uh, then I'd have to uh, go to the trainings, uh, the sessions in, in the evening as well. And then because we hadn't had a, an under-18 coach in place, uh, ready when the season started, I found myself as head coach of the under-18 team as well, which was really difficult because I, I, I've still got the intensity of, of being on the, on the touchline with the senior team. So we, <laughs> we started the, the season with the under-18s. I'm not sure they knew what hit them because I, I, was, I was in there like Mourinho with them. Uh, so I had to quickly realise that they're under-18s and I had to understand that, although, yes, they're older teenagers, but not quite the... the the players you're dealing with at senior first team level so it was a good uh, learning curve and, and, and lesson for me uh, to, to adapt quickly but yeah it, it was difficult to wear two hats for sure uh, Philippines was fine uh, a few barriers we faced there with the youths is that they're not allowed to play for professional teams uh, whilst they're still in a school school team so we had good players who were playing for high schools which couldn't represent our first team yet uh, until their school season had finished. So at times you try to integrate the good young players and, and introduce them into the first team squad, but you just wasn't allowed. Now, on, on the switch side in Ghana, they're trying to push their youth through too quickly when maybe they're not ready, but because of the infrastructures uh, lacking uh, in, in most countries and academies in Africa, you, you, you are kind of forced to push them through earlier uh, more often than not. So, yeah, they're, they're two different uh, spectrums to the scale. And kind of going through, you know, the experience you have, you know, you've went, obviously, the, some of the kind of darker sides of football, you know, uh, as you kind of have said, you know, you're an advocate for the kind of world players, Union Thief Pro, and you believe, obviously, making football better, you know, in every aspect, you know, as you just said there, you know, fair treatment, honesty, integrity can you tell us a bit more about the kind of the role you played in that so therefore a lot of the kind of listeners these days are interested in the kind of mindset but also having that kind of as you said that determination to succeed on the pitch but also succeed off the pitch yeah so uh, as you can imagine in Ghana that was a huge part of my role so I wasn't just their coach uh, or manager I was I was trying to be like a kind of a father figure and, 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 and spouse off the field as well. And as, as cliche as it sounds, you know, I wanted to be there for the players off the field so I could get performance out of them uh, on the field and, and through training as well. And of course, that isn't the only reason. I mean, I, I like to think I'm a, a people's person anyway and, and I, I care about humans and, and players. Uh, but I, I, didn't want, I didn't want them just to be nice to me or cooperate or respect me just because I was a white man and they thought that they could use me to get out of the country. I wanted them to respect me because they thought I was uh, doing the right things or coaching in the right way or they wanted to play for me. So I made sure that they, they knew where the line was not to cross but 
I, I let them to see my human side as well. You know, I, I would go with them to their to the player's house and eat lunch with them sometimes. Uh, we, we would go and do some analysis uh, at the house, uh, at the player's house as well, and we'll go through. I'll go there and watch Premier League football games with them and stuff. So I'll, I'll try and I try to integrate myself with them as much as I could, but also trying to keep that, that line not to cross. Now, in the, in return, uh, I, I must say they're, they're probably the, the I, I would love to coach uh, these players again. They were so responsive, and if anything, they, they didn't question me or they didn't uh, challenge me enough in training sessions where sometimes I'll stop the session and I'll say, guys, look, someone's got to challenge me or you can't think this is an amazing session. You know, they're almost too nice about it, but that was just their the way how they play and the way how they train they they'll literally if, if they respect you and want to play for you and like you as a person they they will run through brick walls for you and you know this is why i found it so hard to detach myself because when i found out kind of the, the dark truth of what was happening because they were doing so well they were playing so well we were winning games they were happy they were buzzing and i i didn't at first i found it hard to believe until Basically, the whole squad told me the truth, what was going on. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it really hit me hard. And I felt bad because I felt like I took my eye off. I, I was just concentrating more on the football side of things. And I felt like I wasn't fully to blame, but maybe I should have been more, yeah, more, more aware of what was going on instead of just taking people's words for what they was getting. Uh, so... Yeah, any, any, uh, the advice I would say to anyone putting them, a coach who, who would put themselves in that situation would just take things with a pinch of salt, but do your own research on what you've been told and be straight with your players and get them to be honest with you because in certain countries they may be told or pressured um, not to tell the absolute truth, what's going on between chairman or owner and the players. So you just got to get that open dialect and that respect and that... Uh, that trust between them as soon as possible. And just going back to kind of the, the the quote you said about you know players you know saying that you know let's see your session wasn't great but they they think it is. Do you think that in the kind of football world the honesty is the best kind of way? Because I I learned that see if my session's bad or sorry not bad but you know it's not as up to standard. You know as a coach that. That's not good enough. But how do you do? You think uh, having a kind of external voice, you know, someone kind of watching your sessions and giving you kind of notes who are experienced, you know, and they can in that kind of level. Do you think that's the kind of best way? Because I know some coaches, young coaches these days, are very. They think they they take things from YouTube, Twitter, you know, and they don't use. Yeah. They don't look at the context. Do you think, as a you know, a, a, an experienced coach who's worked in the kind of different parts of the world, that you even if your session you think it's a, a kind of poor session, the players will say it's it's great, but that's because they want to you know please. But as a kind of coach, you think you should just be on reflection every single session, every single game, just for half an hour, forty minutes, or even I know I've done it for three, four hours. You know, after a training session. You know, getting up at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock, and thinking this is really poor. But then it, it makes you a better coach. Yeah, yeah, t- yeah, big, big time. I mean, this comes down to 
being able to accept uh, kind of uh, positive feedback from from other coaches. So let's say you're a head coach and you got your assistant coach. There's nothing wrong with having a more qualified and experienced assistant coach, but you would have to be that that type of coach with that personality, willing to accept their feedback. And hey, that that's that would be a massive plus for any head coach if they've got a such a assistant coach which would which would help you d- develop yourself through that. But then again, it all comes down to ego again. Like there, there are a lot of coaches which can't accept anything wrong being said about what they do or how they coach. And you see that on, on coaching courses as well. And you can't always be right. And maybe there isn't always a right answer to, to football. You know, it, it's, a, it's a art, right? It's not always a science. There isn't a, a definite answer to, to one thing. And that's another thing with some assistant coaches abroad. If you've got a, a local assistant coach, again, they may not be strong enough or they'll be too respectful to, to critique your, your, your training session when really you are, you're just asking for feedback. You're, you're wanting that feedback. So I think it's important if you can pull aside one of the senior players who's probably really honest and maybe they won't speak out in, in front of the players or a group, but if you get them to your office and you can ask for honest feedback from a couple of the senior players, uh, that, that, that can be used as also a, a good method to get good feedback for yourself. Because uh, as, as you said, you know, you know if, it, if it's been a substandard session and the, the last thing you want is the people to pretend that it was great and blow smoke up your, your backside when really you, you know yourself, right? So, yeah, I, I think you've got to be real, honesty helps everyone develop and those who are not willing to take good feedback and be honest with uh with what people tell you uh you know they're, they're going to struggle in the career yeah, definitely and just to find a couple of questions um the you're the founder of the british football coaches network which uh, i kind of signed up for and i know a lot of people have you know and it's very interesting because you've got a lot of kind of different debates you know and kind of different people chatting about the different you know opportunities there are and the the ideas of working abroad and uh, can you tell us why you set it up kind of when and uh, as I kind of mentioned a little bit kind of what it is more you know if you can tell us expanding that a little bit yeah sure can and, and thanks for mentioning that Laurie uh, much appreciated because it's something I'm really passionate about uh, basically I started it a couple of years ago uh, and it, it was after listening to to a podcast and, and the the topic or the kind of in-trend topic was about coaches abroad and I just got tired. I already had what I wanted to do in my head but this kind of confirmed it and I just got tired of of professional pundits uh, on these podcasts saying that there's no British coaches abroad or they were sat there and you could hear them struggling to to name any and they went back to ex-big name players who've gone abroad and I'm just thinking, guys, you're just not even trying to do any research or due diligence. And I thought, you know what, I can't change the world on my own, but I want to make a start to try and give uh, British coaches, not only uh, who are working abroad, uh, more exposure, but also the ones without a big name or or who are still working on their profile and and name in the UK as well. And I just wanted to try and and give different avenues to to get exposure exposure or to build uh, their own platform or to increase their profile in the game and and give them ways how to do it whether it be through articles through uh, social media posts uh, if it was someone who was sending something uh, 
directly to me so I can then post it out. I just wanted to do all I could. And then from that, the, the kind of, uh, the next thing what came from that was the, the jobs board, uh, which now has uh, different country federations uh, asking us to advertise jobs for them, professional clubs, academies. Uh, so it's not just uh, jobs abroad, but also jobs in the UK as well. And it's all kind of just uh, kick-started from there, and it, it's building some good momentum. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the abroad side of things, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of coach, British coaches abroad, but not only British coaches abroad, but those who are actual head coaches or managers of national teams who are going through World Cup qualifiers. We've got British coaches who hardly get a mention uh, who are potentially going to be at the World Cups. I know it, it's a great challenge for them to get through the qualifiers, but that's where we're at. Where we're at. We've got coaches who are winning league titles in, in top-tier leagues uh, uh, across the world who are in the Asian Champions League or, or the Asian Cup, which is kind of like our Euro Cup. And it just seems like the, the media or the people in the power to actually get these stories out either don't know or don't think it's important enough because I know that bigger names, uh, you know, get eyes on the news. But there's so much potential uh, out there and we're, we're just not making the, uh, as much use as we can out of it. Uh, no, I think it's uh, Louis Lancaster. He's a, a Taiwan uh, manager, uh, you know, and speaking to him a few times and he just gives us kind of small pieces of advice as a coach, but he's such a nice guy. But see that kind of... As you said, that blend of experience, but also having that kind of have that wee fifteen minutes to help other coaches out, you know, who are not as experienced, but will help you. Just that kind of small, you know, small that small piece of advice might get you through the day or might get you through the week, but that's the kind of or that could be potentially to get you to the kind of next level. Um, can you just tell us the uh, like a wee bit of advice on people who want to work abroad? You know, what's the kind of What's the first thing you need to kind of consider, but also just kind of just in a kind of short, you know, couple of sentences why people should work abroad, you know, because I know a lot of people work abroad, but they have that kind of fear factor, but sometimes you just need to kind of jump in with two feet, no pun intended, but you know, just trying to get. <laughs> Yeah, so I I, uh, I did an online course uh, about this. Basically, it covers all the different pathways of of coaching in the UK, depending on your situation, and moving abroad as well, again, depending on your situation. Uh, th this course, just a little bit of a plug, is free to all uh, uh, British Football Coaches Network uh, annual members as well, so they get the course free. But uh, advice I would give anyone... Uh, the main reasons now why more and more British coaches have started moving abroad and are looking to move abroad uh, is the kind of lack of opportunities in the UK. And uh, there's different reasons for that. And we know, yes, it's uh, to do with uh, who you know sometimes or it's to do with if, if you've already got a big name in, in UK football. Uh, but, you know, if you go abroad, you can open up an opportunity which you may not be able to get in the UK. For example, there's no way right now I could I could be a head coach for a professional team uh, in let's say in England. But by moving abroad, I could be head coach of a top tier uh, club in a country or an assistant coach in uh, a well known league in a country such as China. And and that's just something which was which I did to give myself more experience uh, and and just 
the opportunities I wouldn't be able to get in England as well. Now, when you when you look at working abroad, yes, you've got the normal barriers. Have, have you got enough money to start? Have you have you got family commitments? Uh, do you want to move away from home, or are you quite selective about where you want to go? Because maybe you won't have a choice where you go. But as opposed to the opportunities, also you've got to look at the money side of things. You've got to look at the the poor salaries which are being banded around in, in the UK. And let's face it, a lot of them are very poor. Uh, when you're moving abroad, when you've got uh, less outgoings, depending on situation, but you could be earning a better salary. Like I know for a fact that there's some. Uh, really poorly salaried roles in the UK where you go to China or somewhere and even kindergarten teachers with no teaching qualifications are getting a bigger salary than a coach working at a professional football club. And I'm sorry, but that's disgusting. Now, I, I, I do say, and I am a strong ad advocate of you can use any role in the UK to help bump your profile and your CV, and that's true. Even if you're working voluntary or you're working for a job at £4 a session, you can use that to build up to your next step. But not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone has the patience. So that's when the choice is going to come. Are you going to stick it out in England and not get what you probably want? Or are you going to move abroad and, and go for it and potentially get a role which you can't get in the, in the UK? Uh, and, and that's a decision we, we've got to make. But if you can find, if you can find the, the potential of moving abroad and not being brought back by barriers, you can go there to, uh, you can experience a new environment, a new country, learn a different culture or language, work with different players, work with players which may not speak English, which makes your coaching better and communication better. You can get paid more salary and you could end up being head coach of a national team or, or, or a team in a top tier league as well. So they, they are just a, a few things what would be a huge reward for someone looking to move abroad. Yeah, definitely. So I said it would be 20, uh, 20 to 25 minutes and we're fairly seven minutes, but uh, I've just kind of kind of chatting to coaches who have that passion, you know, to try and get to that next level. And this is the kind of final two questions, but the you've kind of talked about upskilling, you know, and I see it a lot, but people talk about upskilling, yet they struggle to, you know, do it, if that kind of makes sense. Like, uh, like I, I, I think... As you know, I kind of trying to improve myself every day by reading, by listening to podcasts, by exercising, by read, uh, you know, watching analysis. Do you think that some people that maybe a wee bit harsh, but they have this big talk, but they don't actually they don't walk the walk. You know, do you think that's the? Do you think in the kind of the world we live in, you know, in the kind of countries you're working in, they work hard? to get to that next level, but some coaches struggle because of pressure, but also from kind of social media. It's just, I think, as I said, there's a lot, I've got a lot of good friends who work hard and they do talk the talk, you know, and do walk the walk, but some of them will say, oh no, I, I'm doing this, this and this, but then you actually ask them, they're like, no, actually, I only do this. You know, they don't give it 110% to that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and like like you said, I, I I mean this in the best possible way. But there's a lot who are uh, who have a lot to say, and they're and they're watching, they're developing themselves, listening to podcasts and watching videos and stuff, which is great. It, it's brilliant. And when you're left with not many choices but to do that, that's great. 
And there's so many coaches who are passionate and they are working hard. And exactly like what you said, when it comes down to it, let's say a coach is working so hard because they want to become a, a head coach of a professional team. So they're putting all this work in. They're, they're, they're working the butts off. They're doing everything they need to. But when it comes down to it, and the choice may be, okay, to be a head coach, you may have to move to a different city in your country, or you have to move country, do you want to now do it? And they will say no, because of A, B, and C. So that's when, and, and again, everyone's got different reasons, and we're, we're not all the same, but that's when you have then got to say, okay, are you really that passionate about uh, passionate about achieving what you say you want to achieve because if you're not willing to do this and this to reach your goal then maybe it shouldn't be your goal or maybe you're not ready yet to have that as a goal because let, let's face it if you if you say okay I want to be a, a national team head coach the chances are you're not going to be England, Ireland, um, Northern Ireland, Scotland head coach so how are you going to become a head coach you know you've got to start planning for that and you've got to start and, and quickly realize that you may have to go out your comfort zone you may have to leave your family you may have to work at a, a smaller salary before you get your pathway in line everything isn't going to fall on your laps and we've got to get out of this habit that just because we have 20,000 followers on twitter or we listen to podcasts that we deserve to get what we say we want to achieve when really you need to take the action of actually doing it not pretending you like to do it. You have got to do it, whatever it takes. And this is one thing I was saying to myself, which is why, which is why I was working away from my wife when she was pregnant, which is why uh, I, I came back and then when my son was born, I had to go again. You know, it sounds selfish, and it is, but I wanted to do whatever it takes to get where I wanted to be. And I, I really hope that others can do this to, to not only follow the dream, but achieve what they can what they deserve to achieve through their hard work. I really hope it happens. Yeah, and you said that kind of sacrifice of family, but it's the bigger picture, you know, like, oh, do you know what, I need to sacrifice a year, but then in three years' time, this will work out, you know, this way, this way, and this way, because I've got that experience. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of the final, uh, as I said, two questions, but these are kind of joint ones. Um, where can people find the you know, the British Football uh, Coaches Network and um, you, and also, what does mindset mean to you? So, uh, the first one, British Football Coaches Network, you can find at uh, British Coaches, uh, sorry, BritishFootballCoaches.com. Uh, also, we're on Twitter, uh, we're on LinkedIn, and uh, we've got a, a private Facebook group as well. If you put into uh, Google now, British Football Coaches, uh, we normally come up on one of the two top listings, so easy accessible there. On the website, there's uh, contact details. Also, for myself, I'm I'm pretty active on on Twitter and and uh, LinkedIn and whatnot. And uh, my my email is available as well as uh, private messaging. And if it's something I can't answer through private message, I'll, I'll just say, look, uh, get in touch through email. Not because I'm I'm trying to be rude or, or cut people short, but. I, I have hundreds of, of emails to get through and I always try my best to answer everyone who, who contacts me as much as I can. So, yeah, if, if you type into Google British Football Coaches Network or British Football Coaches, we'll come up and feel free to get in touch. Uh, uh, sorry, Laurie, what was the, the final question? Mindset. Uh, yeah, so what does mindset mean to you? Uh, yeah, so 
just touching on something you you said uh, uh, just previously. You know, if if you are deciding to make sacrifices, you may be doing it uh, for the better of your family. For example, if you work for three years away from your family, maybe you can go home and you can pay off the mortgage. Maybe you will be able to put your kids through college or, or university. You know, so we some of us may find it selfish in what we do when we work abroad. But at the same time, maybe some are, are working away from the family because they want to try and help as much as they can. So there, there's certainly different perceptions we can look at that. And it's just what we accept and what we feel we can do or, or we can, yeah, what we can handle because it, it is tough. So to me, mind, mindset, mindset for me is the most important thing of achieving anything. If you haven't got it in your mind that you can achieve how you're going to achieve it, then you won't do. Uh, Visualisation is a huge thing for me. Uh, I'm not just saying it. I, I don't want to sound like everything I do is amazing, but everything I have visualised uh, actually happens, and it, it does work. And it, it all goes a little bit deeper in, in attracting positive energy and, and opening opportunities and whatnot, but just the mental state of you wanting to achieve something and knowing how far you'll, you'll push yourself to achieve it is everything. Because if you're not prepared mentally, if you're not ready for what you need to do, then you, you can't achieve it. That's the first step. And it's like the saying, when what your mind wants to do, your, your body will follow. Uh, and, and this goes with, you know, the dark days, you know, coaches, if you just lost your job or, or if you didn't get a contract extension, you need the strength, the mental strength to get through the bad times and get yourself up again and, and, and running and, and, and pushing, for your, pushing for your dreams again. So, you know, it's a tough industry and we need mindset to deal with both sides through career progression, but also the dark times when you're out of a job as well. Definitely, and just to kind of finish off, I remember one of the quotes um, Alistair McCaw said, he says, don't uh, don't dream, visualise it, because if you dream, you're sleeping, which is quite, you know, I thought it's quite interesting, because you're, if you're sleeping, then you're not actually working, but if you visualise it, you can actually have that winning, but no, thanks again, uh, Matt, for coming on. No, no problem, Laurie, uh, absolute pleasure, and, and thank you very much for having me. No. Thanks for listening. If you don't already, give us a follow on Twitter at The Curve Mindset and please like and retweet the podcast. And also, if you can, leave us a review on SoundCloud or Anchor. Thanks for all your support.